Nobody has more respect for women than I do. Nobody. Hillary Clinton wants to abolish it, believe me. She wants to abolish our Second Amendment. I think they didn't deny it. I don't think anybody denied it. Other presidents did not call. They'd write letters, and some presidents didn't do anything. Many people have come out and said, I'm right. You really do have to ask yourself, where does it stop? Hello and welcome to Fallacious Trump, the podcast where we use the insane ramblings of the least racist person in the world to explain logical fallacies. I'm your host, Jim. And I'm your other host, Mark. A logical fallacy is an error in reasoning that results in bad or invalid arguments. And the logical fallacy we're looking at this week is the traitorous critic fallacy, also known as ergo decado. Yeah, ergo decado or decido, I don't know how it's pronounced. Um, I don't remember Latin. Yeah, yeah, it's on the, do, um, do, yeah Latin, I think it's probably hard, yeah, hard C's. So, so that means, <laughs> therefore, leave. And that is basically... Yep. The, the the concept of this fallacy is very very simple one it is saying <laughs> if if someone doesn't agree with you instead of engaging with their criticism or their disagreement you just say well if you don't like it go away and obviously this comes from uh trump's recent attempt to to tell the four congresswomen in the squad to go back where they came from and of course when he did that when he tweeted that he uh, was clearly using a racist trope, saying racist things to them. But obviously everyone um, immediately said, no, he wasn't being racist at all. And yeah. um, in fact, a couple of episodes ago, I did a bonus episode where I talked about the media's response to that and, and the, the mm. media that were calling it racist and the media that were using euphemisms for calling it racist. And what I'm talking about this time is actually his kind of excuse after all of the backlash. because. He obviously wasn't prepared to accept that he was being racist. He said he doesn't have a racist bone in his body, but he tried to characterize it as a different point he was making. And he said this. If you're not happy here, you can leave. And that's what I say all the time. That's what I said in a tweet, which I guess some people think is controversial. A lot of people love it, by the way. A lot of people love it. But if you're not happy in the U.S., if you're complaining all the time, very simply, you can leave. You can leave right now. Come back if you want. Don't come back. It's okay, too. But if you're not happy, you can leave. Now, of course, that's not what he was saying. He wasn't no. saying that... A bit of an argument from numbers, is there? Yeah, absolutely. As well. yeah, the, the, you know, a lot of people, lot of people like it. Yeah. So yeah, That's right. A lot of the wrong kind of people. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he wasn't saying... Anyone who isn't happy can leave the US. Obviously, he doesn't have to give people permission. They can leave if they want to. There's no need for that. Yeah. What he was saying was, you particular people who are complaining should go. And and yeah. that was an attempt not to engage with valid things that they were raising about things that need to change in the US. And what he tweeted, basically, was, I'm not going to do the whole thing, but he said about the 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 progressive democrat congresswomen's kind of mm. countries of origin despite the fact that three of them are from the US he said that they don't yeah. have functioning government governments they're total catastrophes they're the worst most corrupt places anywhere in the world he said why don't they go back and help fix the totally broken and crime infested places from which they came then come back and show us how it's done and in saying then come back a lot of his mm. um, his supporters and apologists were saying 
that, you know, all of the Democrats who are saying he told these people to go away are ignoring the fact he told them they could come back. You know, that mm-hmm. it's totally disingenuous yeah. to say that he was telling people to get out of the US because he said that they could come back. But of course, <laughs> the thing, thing that they're ignoring is the context there is come back after you've fixed broken crime infested places that are total catastrophes, which, yeah. which is like saying... You know, once you've solved poverty, then you can come back. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's not actually a real yeah, exactly. invitation to come back, is it? <laughs> no, it's kind of, it's go away and fix the thing you're accusing me of. Yeah. And when you've done that, you know, take the the plank out of your <laughs> own eye, and then you can come back and you know deal with the. But and again, you know, with no trace of irony in his. Uh, proclamation there because three of them are working in a broken down you know crime infested and three of them that for them that's the US yeah. and that's his government absolutely and that's so, the thing is that they are and that's they their are job that's, fixing that's why yeah. they got into government was to was to yeah. fix things that aren't exactly. working in yeah. their own country They're, yes um, yeah they're working in opposition to the current state of affairs which he happens to be in charge of and that's the the that's the other part of the you know the other name for this is about the traitorous critic so they are critics of his government and he is calling them out as, as traitors he's kind of he's saying well you you're not allowed to say this kind of thing to me um, so not only do you, must you go away, but you're also you must go away because you belong to the the bunch of people who are traitorous, who we don't trust, um, and we we're not going to listen to your argument, um, much less engage with it. You just need to go with all those people that everybody agrees are treacherous, untrustworthy, and we don't listen to. All of that is encapsulated in in that fallacy, I would submit, Your Honour. Yeah, absolutely. And he's saying basically that if you don't think everything is great, <laughs> then then yeah. that's un-American yeah. somehow. If you're if you're going yeah. to say everything is awesome, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, and you should you should not criticise America. You should not criticise um, the president, and and obviously, yeah, that's unbelievably stupid in so many ways. It's it's very much against so many things about America of the of having the free speech to to speak up and complain about things that aren't okay. Yeah. Also, yeah. It's what he has spent not just time while he's president doing, but his entire campaign was based on making America great again, which implies it wasn't already great. You yeah. say yeah. during the whole campaign, yeah. America uh, doesn't win anymore. It's it's you know all the the stuff about all the immigration and making everything terrible and the MS thirteen and all of the stuff is all criticisms of yep. of America and how bad it is and how yeah. it needs to be fixed. And the government itself is um, run by big business well, yeah. and is and is swampy and corrupt Absolutely. and not answerable to anybody. You know, and and it, it needs changing, and yeah, so so it's it's okay for him. So special pleading yeah, as well, yeah. isn't it? It's okay for him to do that, but anybody else who disagrees with him can't say yeah. that. 
they're not allowed to. They are cast. They are literally cast out. You know, ergo decado means you know go. You're get out of here. You know you've transgressed the unwritten law, which is you can't can't disagree with yeah. me. That's fundamentally. In fact, it, isn't it makes me think of the quote by Theodore Roosevelt, who said, "To announce that there must be no criticism of the president, or that we are to stand by the president, right or wrong, is not only unpatriotic." and servile but is morally treasonable to the american public and that's that's he wow. said that when he was president <laughs> or actually yeah. after yeah. Uh, he was uh, this is after he was president actually um that he said that but but the point is that he's saying it's it's even as president it's not okay to expect everyone to to or to say all good things about you um, and, mm. and that there mustn't be any criticism that's very much against what america is all about yeah so, because if you're representing the people, then the some of the people are going to disagree with yeah. you, Be- and that's and you okay. need to listen <laughs> listen to the people. Yes, that's okay. And and in a way, it's your duty to listen to them. And in fact, that kind of forms the content of one of the clips. Really, is your duty as a politician, as a representative of the people to listen to what the people say and possibly change the way you're doing things. To tell them to go away rather than criticise is is just avoiding engaging with mm. criticism itself. And now is the time, I think, for Mark's British politics corner. So, yes, we will get to the example we'll just have referred to shortly. But I kind of wanted... I found it very difficult to find examples where... Uh, British politicians were as ready to, happy to, <laughs> vociferous with expressing this notion that you can banish the people who are against you out loud, mm-hmm. uh, away from your view. <laughs> you know, get out, get out of my sight. You know, um, rather than engage with what they've got to say. And can't find any of them actively calling their critics traitors or dismissing what they say because they belong to uh, a bunch of people that you ought not to trust, much less telling each other or the voters to leave if they don't like it. And I've got a theory about that in a minute. What's involved in this fallacy is dismissing the critic instead of engaging with the argument, as we kind of talk about, and also the what's in implied in engaging with the argument is the possibility that you might have to give in, you might have to give up your position to the weight of facts and evidence that is being presented to you. And we seem to be currently living politically here in the UK and in the US in an era where facts and evidence are just as much open to interpretation. There's no longer an objective truth that people can appeal to independently of um, our, you know, the two argumenters' uh, positions. So dismissing all of that um, includes calling people who point out the flaws, traitors, Ramonas, enemies, project fear. uh, So they all get lumped over there in a bunch of people that it then becomes easier to set them up as being able to be told to go away because you're saying, well, all of these people are, they are enemies of the people. They are just project fear. They are Ramonas. So we can just go, okay, we're not going to listen to you. So I 
did find some examples of MPs kind of saying the stuff, but they don't go as far as saying, so you can just leave. Whereas members of the public, mm-hmm. uh, which Jim found a couple of examples of, have no compunction about saying that at all. And in fact, here's um, the first example is from BBC Christian Time way back in October 2016. Um, so just after the referendum had been uh, run in the June of that year, uh, and we all know the result. And so this audience member, Gary Young, I think his name is, he accuses Angela Rayner, who's a Labour MP, and these days you have to kind of go, well, OK, and and they remain, mm-hmm. so they're Labour and remain. So the, which part of Labour do they belong to? Again, that we'll come back to that in a minute. Um so he's accusing her of ignoring the referendum result. She says this in reply. So I'm not saying and I'm not suggesting we ignore the vote. The vote is quite yes, clear. Are. But as a member of parliament, I have a responsibility for British jobs, British no, workers. You and have a represent- and you have- that. So you need to say that we're going to face that Sorry, all right. Let, let Apolo- you- uh, sorry, you have uh, your job is to represent the public, the people who elect you. Start doing your job. If you don't like it, clear off. There you go. So that was is kind of interesting because he doesn't want to engage with what she's saying because he doesn't agree with it. Um, she is not unreasonably um, saying, "I have a responsibility." Yes, I I see what the vote was, but. What she is uh, trying to get to grips with is this runs, this flies in the face of my responsibility to ensure that, you know, not least her constituents, if not all of the voters who vote Labour, if not the entire country, uh, ensure that they've got a job and that they are able to continue to trade with the markets that they've traded with up till now uh, and you know remain in work and still have the opportunities for putting their kids through education and all those kind of things. Um, you can almost hear him saying, no, <laughs> you haven't got that responsibility. You're, you give, and then he kind of stops himself. He said, no, you're, you, never mind all that. Your responsibility is to listen to the will of the people. Yeah, he's, he's saying that her responsibility is to do what the voters have said. But, of course, he's mm. trying to get her to ignore the fact that almost half of the voters said they didn't want to leave. But so her, her responsibility right. yep. is to do what? the 52 percent of voters and that's yeah. not even necessarily yeah. in her constituency um you know maybe yeah. that the people who she is actually supposed to be representing did vote to to remain and so mm. in technically her job would in that case would be to to advocate on their behalf i don't know yeah I don't know where and, she's and also his, historically it would have been to advocate on their behalf vis-a-vis housing, jobs, education, mm-hmm. you know, um, free market yeah, it's a, trading, it's a, all of those things. It's a representative democracy, isn't it? So we, we elect people mm. to then use their judgment for what they think is best yeah. for us, essentially. Yeah. It's not that we elect people and then tell them what to do. We we elect yeah. people who we think will do the best job. So if, if her yeah. view is that actually remaining is better for the people in her district or her constituency, then that is what she should advocate for. Yeah, or that the 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 the, the previous um, votes, if you if you like, the previous 
priorities that her constituents and other Labour voters voted for, i.e. good jobs, uh, a living wage, good access to health and education, those things may well um, outweigh the leaving the EU, in her opinion, as a representative, as a, an elected politician who we ask to do this job for us. Um, so my uh, second example, or Jim's second example that you pointed me at, is, um, so this is Noel Gallagher uh, from Oasis, out of Oasis, uh, who's speaking on the 15th of June this year, um, and he he's in the long line of rock stars whose opinions people seek rather than just <laughs> just make some tunes and entertain us and that's no, it's, it. it's and, important and, that we find out what celebrities think about things that they have no expertise in because they're just better which, than us it is so it's more important we, what they, they are, think we have referred to <laughs> this, this phenomena before haven't we and they do know better than us they you know they wear sunglasses <laughs> at night and they wear <laughs> leather jackets in hot television studios they certainly act and and speak better than us, and their, their opinions are worth listening to, even if their lyrics aren't. <laughs> so here's Noel Gallagher. You know, Noel Gallagher, what he has to say about Brexit on the Manchester Evening News Twitter feed, and it weirdly involves one of Trump's favourite places, a democratic vote some place, and it went one way, and the other people don't like it. And I, I said to most people, there's only one thing worse than a fool who voted for Brexit. That's the rise of trying to get the vote overturned. You know, it's like you are, you take part in a democratic process. If you don't like the outcome, go to North Korea. <laughs> there you go. So the, the beeping is... We, with Noel Gallagher, he swears every You're other word. Gallagher if you don't get practically. quite frequently. So. No, that's... <laughs> That's right. I think actually he says that he doesn't actually swear. He just opens his mouth and a beep comes out. That's because it just it's quicker. It's, it saves time. So yeah, there he there he is. I quite liked his. Uh, it was almost it was almost Oscar Wilde when he said, you know, there's only only one thing worse than a fool who voted for Brexit, and that's the the cunt who wants to reverse the vote. And you kind of think if he wasn't for the cunt, that's almost an Oscar Wilde epithet, isn't it? There's only one thing worse than a fool who voted for Brexit, and that's a fool who didn't vote for Brexit. Yeah, uh, that that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. And then and it's a very specific. Um, Ergo Decado there, very specific. If you don't like it, you can go to North Korea. <laughs> Here's my thesis on why um, politicians are not keen in the UK on being as as outspoken about um, just go, just fuck off, um, as Trump and Noel Gallagher are. Because he, he actually says in the same interview with Noel Gallagher that uh, Brexit isn't divided on party lines. So uh, it's no longer just you're on the left or you're on the right because there are people that voted leave and remain on both sides. Um, so MPs can't simply dismiss an opposing view by saying, well, if you don't like what I'm doing, then fuck off and go join the other side um, because... 
for instance, it's very tricky for Boris because he currently has a working majority of one mm-hmm. seat in the House of Commons. There's been a uh, a resignation a couple of weeks ago. Um, or was it a defection? There are currently MPs threatening to defect from the Tories, which would leave him vulnerable, more vulnerable, in the event of a vote of no confidence in his government. In fact, today, a senior Tory left the party, not an MP, sadly, um, because of the extremeness of his view, which is basically to blame the EU for not negotiating and not willing to come to the table and talk about a new deal, even though he's, he isn't, hasn't spoken to anybody in the EU since he got elected prime minister. Um, so he's go, he's all set for blaming the no deal on the EU and heading for a no deal crash out. Um, so members of his own party are disagreeing with his standpoint but he's not saying to them, well, if you don't like it, you can leave, because if they do, his government will collapse. Within the Brexit argument these days, um, I think Ergo Decado has simply become get over it in in lots of the correspondence that goes on, even with stuff that I put up occasionally on social media. And just to taunt my Brexit friends, they... <laughs> Raise to rise to the bait, and they go. We won. Get over it. Mm. And that, and I think that's the equivalent. That's the modern translation of ergo decado. That's you know. There's nowhere to send people. Just just go away. Radiohead there with Creep, <laughs> and um, that was uh, in honour of, well, both Trump and Boris, actually. Yeah. In the Fallacy in the Wild, we like to talk about the Fallacy of the Week from a non-political perspective, and uh, first example this week comes from the uh, the US version of The Office, which will always be the, uh, the poorer relation of the UK version. <laughs> sorry, but, <laughs> sorry, guys. Yeah. <laughs> um, and this is from an episode where... Uh, Stanley has been quite rude to Michael Scott and Michael is having difficulty kind of disciplining him because of the kind of boss he is. And this is uh, a bit that Stanley says to camera. It's like I used to tell my wife, I do not apologize unless I think I'm wrong. And if you don't like it, you can leave. And I say the same thing to my current wife and I'll say it to my next one too. (laughs) Yeah, so... There's the consequences of just adopting this fallacy, isn't it? Yeah, that people will call your bluff. Yeah, that's the yeah, and leave. <laughs> yeah, 
Let's hope somebody will do that in the Tory party. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, <laughs> and I love his his fatalism where he just kind of goes, yeah, happened, yeah. And I say that to my wife, happened to my previous <laughs> wife, and it will happen to the next one. Yeah, so he, he refuses to engage. If someone is saying that he's, that he's done something he needs to apologise for, he refuses to engage with the criticism. He just says, okay, tough, if you don't like it, leave, which is the simple yeah. The simple thing that um, Ergo Decado is. Our next example is from American Hustle with Christian Bale and Jennifer Lawrence. Mm-hmm. And this is just after Jennifer Lawrence has set fire to the microwave that uh, Christian Bale brought home. And he's not happy. I told you not to put metal in the science oven. What'd you do that for? Don't make such a big deal. Just get another one. I don't want another one. I want the one that Carmine gave me. Oh, Carmine. I want the one that Carmine gave me. Carmine, Carmine. Why don't you just marry Carmine? Get a little gold microwave and put it on a chain around your neck. <laughs> so this is a slightly different version of Ergo Decado because yeah. what she's saying is basically in the same way as um, Republicans sometimes say you know if, if you think that socialism is so great go to Venezuela or if you think that mm. um, Sweden is so great go and move to Sweden it's the same kind of thing it's, mm. it's, it's opposed to saying if you don't like what you've got here go away she yep. is saying as his wife if you if you like Carmine so much if he's so great go and marry Carmine <laughs> Um, yeah, is, yeah. is refusing yeah. to I mean he is justifiably angry with her because he told her not to put metal in the science oven and she did and it blew up yep. so yep. she's refusing to engage with that and take any responsibility for it she's just saying well, get another one if you don't if you think Carmine's great go and marry Carmine so <laughs> yeah 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 no I- not even, yeah. She's kind of. You can get another. One. No, no. I, I, we need. I wanted that one. I want you to take responsibility for and just apologize. Well, I only apologize if I think I'm wrong. I want you to to just see what it is that I'm saying and go. Oh yeah, no. Actually, you're right. Yeah, should have. Yeah, yeah. You're right. I'm terribly sorry. Is there anything we could do? to to fix that rather than just going oh get another <laughs> one mind you i do quite like the idea of having a small gold <laughs> microwave on a chain <laughs> i quite like that <laughs> so an exception to this rule of saying um if you don't like it leave is when you are actually the person who has the authority to make the rule because then you can say if you don't want to play by my rules you can leave and a real life example of this is uh, has has been in the uh, UK press recently, and it's actually the school that my son goes to. Um, and ah. there's a uh, a child that is due to go to his school in September. He's just passed his eleven mm-hmm. plus. He's done very well, and he's achieved the grades that he would need to get to get into this school. But he yep. has very very long hair. Uh, he's never cut his hair. It's kind of his as far as he's concerned, as far as his parents are concerned. It's part of his personality is his long hair. And right. the school has rules against that. They say that they they mm-hmm. want their students to be kind of well-groomed and they have rules about how long boys' hair is allowed to be. Um, in the UK, mm-hmm. more schools have kind of uniform rules and rules about grooming and yep. things like that than they do in the US. And this is a kind of – it's a it's a grammar school, so it's – not a private school it's not paid for but it is a kind of mm. 
a, a quality school that that creams off the the kind of the the higher yeah. achieving students and they have a kind of reputation and they have a certain level of uh, expectation mm. of their students of, of what they're going to yeah. look like because they they feel that it helps i guess people to kind of conform to their standards so and i guess also they're kind of grooming them if you can use that word these days they're grooming them to think about well when you're applying for university and the universities we want you to go to there will be certain expectations and if you're going into the workplace there will be certain expectations so we are getting you to think about uh, adhering to the rules and uh adopting the uniform and behaving in a uniform way because and also it makes the school easier to manage yeah. and it, yeah and that is part of their argument is that is that they are preparing people they're preparing their their students for kind of life in um in the workplace and many workplaces mm. not all workplaces obviously you can you can dress how you like in some places but but many have an expectation of how you will appear and so they are kind of mm. trying to 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 build this into part of what they do for their students so the parents are unhappy the boy is unhappy and basically the school have said well if you want to come to the school these are our rules and because as a school they are allowed to have rules and they are allowed to exclude people yep. who don't follow the rules because they are in that position of authority. That isn't a fallacy. They're not, not engaging with this uh, criticism. Mm. They have explained their position on it and they have the ability to enforce that position because that's the, yep. the control that they have as, as the authority. Trump, in trying to say, go away, to people who criticise doesn't have that authority to say, I'm going no. to deport people who no. criticise me. Um, he would like, I'm sure, to have that authority, but um, but yeah. he doesn't. So <laughs> yeah. it doesn't work in the same way. And the other thing is that this isn't like the school that he's been allocated. In, in, in some cases, it, uh, schools are allocated on the basis of how close you live to the school. This mm-hmm. in, in this case, yep. it's, it, this is a, a kind of school where you have to... Um, pass a test to get in and okay. and so so this is yeah he's preferred... specifically to go yeah. to this school he's picked this school and his parents yeah. have he's apparently he wants yeah. to do like quantum physics or something like that so so this is mm-hmm. it's a good school he's he's probably going to get good grades if he goes there and and you know that's why he's chosen this but there are plenty of other schools that he could go to that may have different rules mm. Um, yeah. and, and so by choosing this school, school yeah, like, by well, choosing him. this school, he's getting a benefit, and and to get that benefit, he may yeah. have to concede uh, on the thing that he doesn't it's, want. It, you've got yeah, you kind of got to view it as the entrance yeah. fee, haven't you? You can think, you know, how long are you going to live? How long are you going to be at this school? Six years, seven years? You know, you can grow your hair when you leave. That you know, it'll grow again. It's not like it won't. Um, and he's only had it for 11 years. You're likely to live in another 11 beyond the end of the school. Probably, yeah. um, mind you, if he kind of behaves like that, he's not going to live <laughs> to see a 12th birthday. <laughs> that's a, I'm not going to take that as a threat. I think that's... <laughs> <laughs> So we're going we're gonna to play fake news, folks. I love the game. It's a great game. I understand the game as well as anybody. As well as anybody. Yes, it's time for Fake News, the game where I read out three Trump quotes, two of which are real and one I made up, and Mark has to figure out which one is fake news. 
Yeah, and if you don't like the way that I've been playing this, you can just leave. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. And I'm, I'm well, I'm just practically in the bag already. And I'm, what, what is it, 12 out of... 12 out of 29, 29 at the moment. Yeah, yeah, after a run of okay. success uh, last week, you, yeah. you went back to tradition um, and... Um, <laughs> Yeah, I was feeling for tradition. And yeah. this, this time, I'm yeah, I'm joining the band of people over there, the, the traitors who are, yeah. I might actually pick uh, two wrong ones this week. Yeah. No, you have to play by the rules. Or you can't I'm going to disagree with the rules. I go, yeah, exactly. I'm not going to play. And if you don't like that, you can just go and listen to something else. Right. So, okay. our theme uh, this week is uh, yeah. is Mitch McConnell. Um, because he has he's recently been accused of uh, being a, a kind of pup, another puppet of Putin and and trended on Twitter and in social media in general as Moscow Mitch, which he had a problem oh, with. He didn't like lovely. That. He didn't mind when someone called him <laughs> cocaine Mitch a couple of years ago, but he really did not like being fun, called Moscow Mitch. Um, so, <laughs> and it's, that's really <laughs> nice, isn't it? It's kind of it conjures up. Um, like a, a small mouse that produced by Pixar, voiced by Robin Williams, <laughs> that kind of yeah. Moscow Mitch has all sorts of all sorts of adventures. Yeah. And then, yeah. and then people started calling um, uh, Lindsey Graham Leningrad Lindsey as well, which is quite amusing. So, <laughs> anyway, so That's these great. are things that that Trump has said about Mitch McConnell. Uh, this is from pre. Um, the election, I think this is May 2016. He said, I don't know if you've heard, but I just got a great endorsement from Mitch McConnell. Such a lot of people are endorsing me. Mitch is a great guy and a great friend, a better friend now that he's endorsed me. And he's done a tremendous job as Senate Majority Leader. I don't know him that well, but the couple of times I got to meet him, we got on very well. I think we're going to be good friends. Statement number Mm -hmm. two. This is from... um, 2017 after the election he said i just want to say that we spent quite a bit of time inside with the senate majority leader mitch mcconnell who has been a friend of mine for a long time long before my world of politics early into his world of politics i think but we've been friends for a long time we're probably now despite what we read we're probably now i think at least as far as i'm concerned closer than ever before and the relationship is very good okay um and statement number three Is is bang up to date. Yep. It's it's in response to the people calling him Moscow Mitch. Um, he says, yep. Mitch McConnell is a man that knows less about Russia and Russia's influence than even Donald Trump, and I know nothing. So I think it's a horrible thing when a paper, which is really just the paper for the benefit of Amazon, the Washington Post, is fake news, just like the New York Times is fake news. It's put there for the benefit, the Washington Post, of Amazon. That's my opinion, and I think it's a disgrace. Hmm... Okay. Um, he's very concerned about how friendly he is with Mitch. And that, that seems always to be the kiss of death, really, doesn't it? Because like, anyway, now, I hope I've got him in the um, the fire swamp. He's going to get fired, isn't he? Um, okay. Crazy endorsement. A lot of people endorsed me. He's a great guy, great friend, better friend now. He's endorsed me. Yeah, that's very Trump. Um, mm-mm-mm. I don't know him now. He's a great friend. I don't know him, but I think we're going to be good friends. Okay. Yeah, that's that's early Trump troops, isn't it? Um, 
Trans long time, probably now, despite what we're probably now. At least if that's a lovely extended Trump sentence. Uh, and then he manages to get in a whole list of fake news people. Oh, God. <laughs> See, I've, it's, it's deserted me, the, the my nose. Uh, okay. Oh, no. I think for the sake of that elongated sentence. Oh, no, 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 no. Okay, uh, I'm going mm, to plump for three. I think number three is the one you made Okay, up. so of the other two, which one do you think is uh, you're more confident about? I th- oh, okay, I think the second one, actually, with the elongated sentence in the middle, I'm more confident okay. about. Okay, so number yeah. two. It's going to be fake. Is? Yeah. Yeah. Real. I just want Ooh. to say that we just spent uh, quite a bit of time inside with the Senate Majority Leader, Mitch McConnell, who has been a friend of mine for a long time, long before my world of politics, early into his world of politics, I think. But we've been friends for a long time. We are probably now, despite what we read, we're probably now, I think, at least as far as I'm concerned, closer than ever before. And uh, the relationship is very good. Well, that, that runs completely contrary to the previous <laughs> one, doesn't it? It's, so, whoa, it's just the weird thing nonsense. Is McConnell's been in politics for, since the 70s, basically. Um, yeah. So Trump suggesting that they've been friends since, since, since the 70s. That time. As far as yeah. I could find, he never mentioned yeah. Mitch McConnell or was mentioned alongside Mitch McConnell until 2016. Until, yeah, they, when he was in. They don't seem to be the yeah. same kind of person. No. Mitch, I don't think, is a kind of, you know, New York party guy in the same kind of Jeffrey Epstein way as, as Trump yeah. is. I, it, I find it very difficult to believe that they've been friends at all, or our yeah. friends for that matter, yeah. but exactly, yeah. But uh, or you know, because yeah. there's a thing about being friends that the other person has to acknowledge <laughs> the friendship, you know. So, we're probably now, despite what we read, that what and that, who is this we? I just want to say that we yeah. just spent a quite bit of time. Is that the other Trump inside his head? We, we've been friends a long time. We're probably now, despite what we're, we're probably now, I think at least as far as I'm concerned, it comes to everybody. Yeah. It's kind of like, oh, I'm like, yeah, you're going to work with me, just, work yeah, for me. Everything. I want you to be my friend. Everything is based on how much other Please people like him, basically. And so if you yeah, can say that yeah. he's been friends with this guy for a long time, then that means that he must like him. Mitch must like him because they've been friends for such a yeah. long time. Yeah, because he can't possibly, other people can't possibly be using Trump. No. Because that's what no. he does. It's not that Trump is just a, and, a useful and idiot. And he does that. Um, no. Yeah. So, with that in mind, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, his yeah. number one, where he says that he's barely met him, he's just met, met him a couple of times, also Yeah, is that true? Real? Number one is, that, is yeah. Yeah. fake news. Oh, Wow. Whoa. Bloody hell. That's very so, good. Great guy. Better known for it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was the, the little aside. A better friend now than he's endorsed me. Really good gag, actually, now. Now I know that it's not real. That's really nicely done. But yeah. Wow. Oh, that's very Which good. Which means 
the number yeah. three where he says, I know nothing. No. Is. Oh, is my really? God. Mitch McConnell no. is a man that knows less about Russia and Russian influence than even Donald Trump. And I know nothing. So I think it's a horrible thing when a paper, which is really just a paper for the benefit of Amazon, the Washington Post is fake news, just like the New York Times is fake news. It's put there for the benefit, the Washington Post of Amazon. That's my opinion. And I think it's a disgrace. He, he never finishes that sentence. It's like, no. I think it's a horrible thing when a paper and then just gets sucked into a fake news of, accusation. To the whole fake news world. Yeah. yeah. It's just. I think it's a horrible thing when a paper is a disgrace. Yeah. <laughs> what, what? His opinions are disgraceful. Well, he is. Yeah, we know that. But wow. I love that when he goes. When he, when he, there's the we, look, and he, because he says he knows less about it than even Donald Trump, yeah. and I know nothing. So I he, know and he's nothing. just kind of looks across and goes, oh, that's me, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, that's, <laughs> wow. Oh, well, we're, oh, blimey. Well, that's not, yeah. So. And that's really up to date, and he's still. this week. Yeah, that was maintaining last week. Yeah. He knows nothing. Yeah, I know nothing. Nothing about Russia. Whoa. Yeah, nothing. He doesn't specify. He knows nothing about Russia. He just says, "I know nothing." So I think it's probably one of the more yeah. accurate things he said. So uh, what that means is that you are now on twelve out of thirty, which is forty percent. Ah, um, so still still that's above a nice chance. rounded number. Yes, yeah. yeah, yeah, that's good. Yeah, um, and uh, yeah, yeah, and and still, uh, yeah, still some way to go. Um, to to your heady heights, I think of forty four or forty five percent you had at one point. So you can yeah. still get there. Either that, or you've you've kicked back into gear with your uh, <laughs> with the 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 brilliance of your writing. That's that's what it is. You've yeah, been re inspired by Moscow Mitch. That's not dismiss my my uh, upsurging skill <laughs> levels. Says no, no, it was just it wasn't you winning. It was me <laughs> failing. Yeah. So it's time for the part of the episode that this week at least is called The Second Democratic Debates Are Not a Logical Fallacy because just after we recorded our last episode um, we had two more democratic debates, two more nights of one yep. debate in a way. So since we talked about the first lot I thought we should probably talk about the second lot as well. Hey, uh, well yeah. And... It was actually, I think, a lot less um, impactful on mm. on most of the candidates. I don't think that it really kind of moved moved the needle for most people, from what I could right. see. Certainly, um, yeah. after the first one, I declared that Kamala Harris was the next yeah. uh, president, and she didn't have yeah. a great. How are you feeling about that now? On, right. on the second night, she did. I thought she did actually pretty well. But a lot of people came mm. after her, and a lot of people um, came after Biden as well, who was uh, who was on the same night as her. So night one, um, the the kind of standout people there really were were Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren. And the weird thing about the CNN format that that was different from the mm. previous debates in June was they started off with this big kind of like fight night style introduction to all of the people involved right. that went on yeah. for quite a long yeah. time. And <laughs> and then they yeah. introduced them all individually on the stage and everyone got their own round of applause and 
obviously they started off yeah. with the big players, Sanders and Warren, and and by the time it got down to like Tim Ryan, people were not really clapping much. No, um, well, because they didn't know who, couldn't remember who yeah. he was, and they were a little bit tired then. That was a bit mean. Yeah, they should have done it in reverse order, yeah. really. Yeah, they? should have built, have built up, up to the to the so, stars. Yeah, and also CNN really tried to seemed to be trying to kind of put the cat among the pigeons a bit and trying to kind of play mm. candidates off against each other and 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 push for having a bit of a fight and kind of the Jake Tapper particularly he asked at one point one of his questions was um I think he asked Damien Klobuchar who on the stage is just making promises to get elected which I mean what was the point of that <laughs> other than just to kind of yeah uh, to pick out one of the other people and say yeah that person yeah <laughs> yeah there's no real Double thing yeah. that's going to tell you anything about her policies or anything on that. Other than a willingness to... <laughs> Throw someone else um, under the bus. Yeah. Exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah. he was specifically calling out people and say, I think it was um, John Delaney was, seemed to be called on a lot on in this first debate, which was weird because he's one of the lowest polling candidates. But... Um, mm. I, sp- I think he said things about other candidates. So Jake Tapper was like, okay... Bernie Sanders, um, John Delaney has said this about your healthcare plan. What do you think? And and so Delaney got quite a lot of uh, opportunity mm. to talk uh, above some of the other candidates. And the 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 moment I think that stood out for me on the first night was um, when Delaney was basically saying how we can't um, we can't kind of reach too far. We can't try to 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 do anything that's too difficult. We should be realistic and not go for these kind of fairyland policies. And Elizabeth Warren just said, you know, I don't understand why people go to all the trouble of running for president just to talk about what you can't do and what we won't be able to do and what we shouldn't fight for. (laughs) Which is, yeah, yeah, Yeah. absolutely. They should be there. Not saying, oh, well, you know, we'll we'll do our best, but it's going to be difficult. They should be there saying, this is what we're going to do. We'll shoot for the moon. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's the point. Yeah, Kennedy literally shot for Absolutely. the moon. Absolutely, yeah. Kennedy didn't say, you know, it you was, know, oh, we'd like to go to the moon, but it's going to be really hard. So, you know, maybe, I don't know, 30, 40 years, we'll probably be able to do it. I don't know. He didn't, you know, yeah, he, he was like, by the end up. of this decade, yeah. we will do it. Yeah. That's the point. We will do it. We'll go there and bring it back yeah. safely. Yeah. So yeah. totally agree with yeah. Elizabeth Warren. She's She was always one of my top two candidates, and she has, I think, had the biggest boost from this round of debates. Um and yeah, she she kind of stood out. Sanders, I think, did pretty well, but he was quite combative with a lot of people. Mm. Um, to be mm. fair, I think a lot of people came after him. Well, it him. was last time. He was a really. bit, yeah, but yeah. he was more animated yeah. this time. And certainly right. John Hickenlooper tried to, to kind of goad him a bit and got some rise out of him, mm. which is quite amusing. Uh, yeah. He shouted at a couple yeah, of people. Yeah, I did find that he, he kind of, he rested on his laurels somewhat. Yeah. As, you know, the, the and Biden too, really, that they're kind of going, well, we're the, you know, we've got years of experience. We are the the ones that can be trusted just by our presence. Yeah. And, you know, they're not kind of, you know, apart from being goaded about, well, did, did you did you back those policies on busing students? Yeah, yeah so you know, Biden, the, yeah, on you, the second night, he came out um, kind of more ready to fight than he was in the mm-hmm. first debate. Um, he he started out, that he was first on stage again with CNN's kind of 
um, introductions. And, and then Kamala Harris came out and he said to her, you know, go easy on me, kid. And, um, mm. and, and she <laughs> did really, they had a bit of to and fro about, uh, healthcare. First of all, you know, straight off, they were, they were pitted against each other by, by the moderators. Mm. And I think for the first kind of seven or eight minutes, they were pretty much the only two people who, who talked at all because they were just going back, back and forth arguing about stuff and, mm. and Biden, um, accusing, uh, Kamala Harris's healthcare policy of just basically being too expensive and Harris saying that Biden's didn't really cover all the Americans. They were left 10 yeah. million people uninsured. And um, yeah, there were some reasonable points made and, and I think both of them did okay. And But they were mm-hmm. best, definitely the targets for basically everyone else. Everyone kind of came up came mm. for them to try and score points and to try and raise their own profiles. It's an odd experience because... Um, we had the similar thing with the leadership conferences with the uh, Tory party leaders. The, the, these guys, you kind of don't get to say, uh, get a say mm. on who gets through to the next round. And so all you get to, at the worst, you get to be depressed ahead of time <laughs> as to who's yeah. going to be the leader. But also there's this sinking feeling that I get over here because we are used to there being a um, uh, an actual physical opposition um, in the House of Commons and, you know, who are banded together to fight the government that's in power. And it seems to me that the whole thing about the Democrat debates is very – it's like it's the kind of infighting yeah. – that the Labour Party in this country try not to make too public, and here it is on TV. Absolutely. They're and it's on TV for like sniping at for, one another for almost eighteen months. Yes, yeah. is, is by the time for, that, forever that they pick a candidate and they're going up against Trump, they've already had all of their kind of flaws exposed. Mm. Um, yeah, and I mean the question I think to some extent is how much as the as the people drop out of the race, will their followers move on to someone else, move on to the kind of more likely candidate mm. to, to win? And that will, I don't know. I mean, I guess that happens every time. There's so many more candidates this time than I think they've ever been that um, mm. it seems like the, the kind of the electorate is more fractured in that way. And I hope yeah. that they will be able to pick someone who can bring them together and, and that in future debates, um, people see things that they think that, that yes, this person is worth following. I know that Elizabeth Warren in the first night um, did definitely pick up some of that from people who were thinking, yeah, mm, mm. she's okay. And then um, actually people going, yeah, she's my candidate. So I yeah. think that in the second debate, I think that Biden didn't really do anything particularly wrong. I don't think he probably lost any any followers especially i don't think he did brilliantly he was again i think right. only one of the only people who stopped talking when his time was up just in the middle of a sentence he was right. as right. if he really didn't hide kind of really believe in what he was saying in a way it kind of gave that impression right. that he wasn't <laughs> oh trying to push yeah. it he just was talking until the moderator said okay thank you and then he stopped um whereas the others yeah. were passionate and wanted to make their point and so when they the moderators tried to stop them they would just keep saying what they had to say until it was said so 
that's the sense I got. But Harris, who went in um, doing well, did well yeah. against some of the people who who argued against her. But kind of about an hour in, hour and twenty minutes in or so, Tulsi Gabbard um, kind of attacked her on her prosecutorial uh, record and and did some damage. I yeah. think she uh, Harris didn't yeah. didn't do brilliantly in rebutting her at the time afterwards in a in an interview she kind of brought up gabbard's uh, record of, of kind of apologizing for for bashir al-assad in uh, syria and things like mm. that but didn't mm. mention it at the time no one mentioned assad or her her kind of pro-russian leanings or anything like that at the time yeah. um yeah and and i think gabbard came away with a slight bump in the polls and harris has lost a few points so Mm. that's interesting. I don't think it'll make much of a difference long-term because I don't think that Tulsi Gabbard will probably make it to the third debate. I don't think she'll have the polling numbers. Um, and the, the criteria get a lot str- stricter for the September debates. The set reminds me of any shiny floor show. Mm. You know, the, it could be uh, uh, Big Big Brother, it could be... Because um, got talent, become dancing, dancing yeah. with the stars. Yeah. yeah, it could be all of those kind of things, and it ultimately it kind of is that, but without the uh, the people's vote, you know, the, without the well, yeah, the viewers <laughs> being able to dial in. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so you don't get to choose the ca- you don't get to choose the candidate that goes through to the next round no. or that that gets no, to I leave mean, the Big Brother house. It, it's I I question the value of these these two debates these these ones and the ones in June mm. because there are so many candidates there's two nights ten people each a lot of people didn't get really a chance to make any impression at all Kiss and Gillibrand basically said one useful thing or not even useful just something that went a bit viral when she said that the first thing she would do oh, right. when she got into the Oval Office as president was Clorox the Oval Office but. Um, it, she didn't, yeah. you know, nothing stood out in terms of policy or anything like that. Um, Jay Inslee, again, only really talked about the environment and and Booker was quite good on climate change and the environment as well. So he kind of took Inslee's mm. legs away because Booker's good on other things too. He was talking about healthcare and, and police yeah. reform and stuff. And so Inslee then became a candidate that really only had one policy that that someone else was also talking about. Well, I guess to a certain extent you think, okay, well, here is the performance of them in di- diplomatic circumstances, talking about policy and how do we experience the president anyway? Well, we experience them on TV, um, you know, that, and that's what you want uh, yeah i mean I, I as i've said before i blame kennedy um for this whole thing that it becomes about how good you are on tv and so to a certain extent the debates themselves are given that they'll be on for 18 months they're going to make tv stars yeah. If you didn't recognise them before, you will by the end of that because they would have had their own TV series. Yeah, and Tulsi Gabbard That's... got um, a significant bump, not just in in and like a small bump in the poll, polling numbers, but a huge bump in, in awareness of people looking her up on Google. She was by far the mm. most searched person, partly 
because she she did have an make an impact um uh, and yeah. less people already knew about her um she mm. also had you know gained the most twitter followers and things like that interestingly she was she wore a bright white kind of pantsuit which was yeah i mean she did look good in it um a bit hairy. It, it was also it was it was much more tailored than Hillary's, and um, the, but the, right. the interesting thing is, her husband I think is a, a video producer, and it, it's yeah. one of those things about about videos is the things that draw the eye, as we know as video producers, yeah. uh, are the yeah. brightest thing on the screen, the the most in focus, yeah. or the thing that moves, and. And Tulsi yeah. Gabbard was the brightest thing on the screen at all times, basically. So yeah, yeah, yeah. She she did she did draw attention, and um, she she got definitely a bump. I think there has been some talk in in the more liberal side of things that possibly some of the um, the favourable searches that she's had and the and the the internet response has been kind of possibly mm. driven a bit by Russian bots because the Russians have definitely expressed a preference. Uh, I, I don't know. Right. I'm, not, I'm uh. absolutely not saying in any way. And some people have said, but I'm not saying that she's, she's in any kind of right wing plant or Russian plant or anything like that at all. I don't believe yeah. that. But, um, but she, she has been, I mean, definitely, sympathetic to Assad she's been sympathetic to Russia she she was the the person who came out saying uh, uh, after the the damning Mueller report she came out saying well yeah. you know the, the report's out now it exonerates Trump and that's that we should leave we should move on um yeah she is more favorable um to I think the the right and to to certainly the Russians and people like that so if mm, if mm. there are going to be um, Russian interferences in in this section of the of the election or of the primaries, then it, it probably is going to be geared more towards her. It seems so. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what impact that made that has. me think of Tony Blair and his um, seduction of the right wing press as a way to get into office. Mm. You know, they kind of suddenly got supported by what up till then had supported the. Tory party rather than the Labour Party and I think part of uh, his strategy was to tell the press barons and Tory supporters that not much would change yeah. so in that way he was kind of excusing however many years of Thatcher uh, free marketeering and yeah not much did change but but he got labor in yeah and we all thought it was great at the time and then of course we went to war and, but, and uh, biden started out before the yeah. first debate saying that he's he said to journalists and and others you know if if i get him not very much is going to change in kind of everyday mm. life in america mm. so that's not necessarily yeah. a good thing <laughs> a lot of no, people would like it to change you really do want it to yeah. change from yeah yeah and finally, some things we really don't have time to talk about. Last weekend, America suffered two more mass shootings in El Paso, Texas and Dayton, Ohio. Once again, Republicans tried to place the blame anywhere but on guns, with Trump reading disingenuous words from a teleprompter that once again blamed video games, included the phrase, mental illness and hatred pulled the trigger, not the gun, 
and saw Trump ad-lib Toledo when the teleprompter said Texas and Ohio. The White House barred the press pool from attending his subsequent visits to the affected cities, saying it was about the victims, not a photo op. Of course, because it's Trump, the White House media team took plenty of photos of a grinning Trump giving his signature thumbs up and made a schmaltzy campaign ad out of the visit. Watching the ad, you can't even tell that all eight of the victims still being treated in the El Paso University Medical Center refused to meet with Trump. Ohio Senator Cheryl Brown and Dayton Mayor Nan Wally were rather complimentary about Trump's visits shooting victims at Dayton Hospital on 7th of August. At a press conference after Trump and Melania had left, Brown said he was received well by the patients, as you expect. They're hurting, he was comforting, he did the right things, and Melania did the right things. And it's his job in part to comfort people. I'm glad he did it in those hospital rooms. But these are Democrats and their weasel words are not to be trusted. And by 2.32pm the same day, Dan Scavino Jr. tweeted in an uncannily Trump way, very sad to see Ohio Senator Brown and Dayton Mayor Nan Wally lying and completely mischaracterizing what took place with the president's visit to Miami Valley Hospital today. They are disgraceful politicians doing nothing but politicizing a mass shooting at every turn they can. An hour and a quarter later, Trump added, their news conference after I left for El Paso was a fraud. It bore no resemblance to what took place with those incredible people that I was so lucky to meet and spend time with. Uh, So he's denying the good things they said took place. What? Wait, what? How fragile must your ego be to pre-prepare and tweet out a rebuttal, even when people are nice about you? Uh, oh yeah, wait, no. Uh. <laughs> Trump just seems determined to kill U.S. agriculture because he can't admit that trade wars are neither good nor easy to win. His latest round of tariffs on Chinese consumer goods has caused China to announce that they are halting all purchases of U.S. agricultural products, and they've allowed their currency to drop to its lowest value in over 10 years, leading the Treasury Department to officially designate them as a currency manipulator. This is very bad. According to many economists, such as Art Hogan, chief market strategist of National Securities Corporation, exactly how bad it will get is impossible to tell, but the worse it gets, the faster the U.S. will be plunged into a full-on recession. And Trump still somehow thinks he's punishing the Chinese. Hmm. Well, on that subject, I'm not one to normally hold with conspiracy theories, but when 99% of the USDA, the US Department of Agriculture's funds to help bail out farmers affected as a result of the trade tariffs wars with China instigated by, oh, let me check, oh, the US government, end up going to white farmers. of recipients being male white farmers. I begin to suspect some higher plan is at work. Donald Carr, a senior advisor at the Environmental Working Group, told Bloomberg that when bailout funds continue to overwhelmingly flow to an elite group of the largest farms, wealthy landowners and city residents with no real connection to the day-to-day operations of the land, it's clear the program is deeply flawed and not delivering aid to those farmers in desperate need. The USDA said payments have all been made in accordance with our published regulations and existing procedures. Ah, well, that's all right then. No need to do anything about it. We were just following orders, anyone? Yeah, something like 60% of the bailouts so far have gone to about 10% of farmers. And there's supposed to be a cap on how much individual farmers get. But the, the way it works is that 
multiple individuals who work for the same farm group can all claim the cap up to the level of the cap themselves. So that means that some farms are getting millions of dollars and some farms are getting like $11. And... So the ones, the ones that are really in desperate need, yeah. the ones that are affected, like the individual farmers, you know, let's face it, non-white farmers yeah. are the ones that aren't it's, working in a large consortium, yeah. so they will get a very little out of the bailout aimed specifically to help those people affected directly by the exactly. tariffs. It, is, it yeah. is taxpayer money going to help people who have been hurt by the effects of the tariffs and the people who are yeah. getting the most money are the ones who don't really need Own the, biggest the farms. government help yeah. because they can they have enough yeah. money to weather the storm whereas the people who are being yeah. hit hardest by it who are losing their livelihood are are the ones who really aren't getting the benefit from it and because the ones that, that will then weather the storm will buy up the other farms and be even bigger yeah. farms and Possibly Trump voters, white male farmers, could be. If Trump put a bit more thought into his nominations instead of just blurting them out, maybe his pick for Director of National Intelligence, Congressman John Ratcliffe, would have had time to look at his own website and delete the parts of his resume where he'd made stuff up, like his claim that he'd put terrorists in prison, despite the fact that he'd never actually prosecuted a terrorist or the claim that he was the prosecutor on US v Holy Land Foundation, one of the nation's largest terrorism financing cases, for which he was, in fact, not even on the prosecution team. When he decided to withdraw from consideration, Trump admitted that he'd been hasty. No, no, of course he didn't. He tweeted, Our great Republican Congressman John Ratcliffe is being treated very unfairly by the lamestream media. Rather than going through months of slander and libel, I explained to John how miserable it would be for him and his family to deal with these people. Trump's right. It is very unfair of the media to report on what people actually do. Shame on them. Trump is, of course, noted for insisting people serving in public office hold the law in high regard. And so it is with former Illinois Governor Rod Blagojevich, who continues to serve the remainder of 18 years jail time, not least for being caught on tape trying to sell off the appointment to the vacated Senate seat of newly elected President Barack Obama to the highest bidder. No, what am I saying? Rod's also been on TV on Celebrity Apprentice Season 9, Trump's Apprentice. Trump fired Rod when he couldn't verify facts about Harry Potter. How times have changed. Good old showbiz buddy Trump thinks Rod's been hard done by, wants to make it up to him and commute his sentence. Yeah, great optics, Donnie. Great optics. Set free a convicted and jailed corrupt politician right now. Now of all moments. Donnie, you're fired, idiot. Yeah, the the other bit behind this story is that Jared Kushner apparently um, has kind of advocated for Trump to commute Blagojevich's sentence because Blagojevich was a Democrat and he thinks, Jared thinks, that Democrats will appreciate this. It's like throwing a bone to Democrats. <laughs> what he doesn't realise is that Democrats don't like corrupt people. They don't, they don't want Blagojevich out just because he used to be a Democrat. No, in general. It doesn't matter whether they're on their team or not. They think he should be in prison <laughs> yeah. for doing bad stuff. Yeah. Texas Congressman Will Hurd, the only African-American Republican in the House of Representatives, has said that he will not be running for re-election in 2020. That makes him the 11th House Republican and the 6th in just the last two weeks that have announced they're leaving office next year. 
giving up their incumbency reduces the GOP's chances of winning those seats in 2020. But then so does being led by a racist reality TV has been. So who's to say how much it really matters? Fans of black Republicans in Congress shouldn't feel too hard done by because there's always the Senate where you can find Tim Scott and, well, that's it. Ben Carson, Secretary of Housing and Urban Development, set up for a press conference outside a church in Baltimore to appear like he was doing something for the neighbourhood. Church officials kindly told him to go back where he came from. Ironic, really, because he used to come from round there, working in Baltimore, where he says he was afraid to send kids home because of rats and an unabated lead problem. And thank God he was now in charge at HUD and could do something about it. Which he hasn't, apart from roll back Obama-era housing legislation and buying a $31,000 dining room set for his office and an $8,000 dishwasher in the office kitchen without notifying Congress. What a guy! What a guy. So that's all the bad arguments and faulty reasoning we have time for this episode. You can find the show notes at fallaciousTrump.com and if you hear Trump say something stupid and want to ask if it's a fallacy, our contact details are on the contact page. And if you think we've used a fallacy ourselves, let us know. And if you've had a good time, please give us a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts. And you can support the show on our Patreon page at patreon.com slash ftrump. Just like our newest patron, Miles Robinson. Yay, thanks, Miles. You can also connect with us and other listeners in the Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash fallacious trump. All music is by the outbursts and was used with permission. So until next time on Fallacious Trump, we'll leave the last word to the Donald. That's right, go home to mommy. Bye. Bye. Good old showbiz buddy Trump thinks Dan's been hard done by, wants to make it up to him and commute his sentence. He's Dan. You mean Rod? Oh, yeah, Rod. (laughs) Where did that come from? I know. Oh, yeah. Don't do that bit again.